name is Kerwin Rodriguez. Yeah. I'm so excited to, to introduce him. Um, Kerwin is a, a dear friend of mine. Um, every time we connect, we reconnect. It's like we, we just pick up where we left off. He's here with his lovely wife, Meredith. If you guys can give her a hand clap praise for Meredith. Um, so Kerwin is a professor at the Moody Bible Institute. That's the school that I went to, as well as Pastor Eric and a few others. Um, he has a wonderful ministry out there, just not only training students, um, but also I believe he's training a few lay leaders in, throughout the city of Chicago through a leadership academy. Um, if you're interested in that, I want to encourage you to talk to, to, to Kerwin after service. I'm sure he'll give you um, some more information about that. Um, besides that, he's also on the preaching team of, the, of a church called Good News Bible Church. And for those of you who don't know, that was the church that blessed us, sent us out to start this church family. Um, so really today, um, we, we really do have a kingdom sibling with us here today as part of the, the preaching team. With that. And not only that, um, but both Kerwin and Meredith are expecting a child here in a couple of months. Praise the Lord, being fruitful and multiplying the earth. Um, so I, I want to ask Kerwin to come up, and I'm going to pray for him as um, he shares God's word with us. All right, Father, I just thank you, Lord, for um, this man of God. Lord, thank you uh, for uh, the preaching of your word, God. As uh, someone said, Lord, when we preach, Lord, we mediate encounters with you. Oh, God, and today, Lord, as uh, my brother comes to uh, share the word of God, Lord, I pray that we would meet with you today. Lord, that people would see you high and lifted up, God, through the preaching of his word, Lord, that um, you would anoint his mouth, Lord, to give us a fresh word, a word for uh, the different seasons that you have us here um, in our lives and in our church. Lord, bless Kerwin, bless uh, Meredith and their um, son that is on the way. Lord, we pray that um, you would use him mightily, not only here today, Lord, but also um, throughout this city. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and God's people say, amen, amen. Amen. Well, saints, it's a blessing to be with you this morning. Uh, some of you may know that over the summer, I was with Pastor Eric in Liberia when we served together there, the church, the saints there in Liberia. And all throughout the trip, he brought reports about you all. And it was such a blessing to hear from him all that is being done here in the northwest side of Chicago. And so it is a blessing for Meredith and I to be joining with you this morning uh, and I'm very encouraged by, by what is happening here and also feel it is a privilege to join with you, to be able to preach the word with you. And so I'm thankful for your pastors, Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Eric, and I'm thankful for you all. Uh, not only that, but I'm thankful to be able to bring the word of God to you. My favorite thing to do, and it is such a joy to do so. One of my friends, Jared Alcantara, who teaches up at Trinity, tells the story of Gardner C. Taylor one of the most important preachers in America, African-American preacher, who passed away. And before, when he was ministering, he, they tell the story of the church being built up. They were renovating the church, and there was a, a pulpit being built. And in the pulpit was an inscription that was written that was a quotation from the King James that says, We shall see Jesus. 
The story where the people come and ask the disciples, we shall see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And Pastor Taylor would put that inscription on the pulpit as a reminder to whatever preacher was going to bring the word that morning. As a reminder to say, it is not about you. The people shall see Jesus. And so my prayer is that we would see Jesus this morning that he would be lifted up, that he would be glorified, that he himself would minister to us through this word, through his word. Uh, Because however, wherever we came from, we need a new word. We need a fresh blessing this morning. Amen? So would you pray with me one more time? Because I truly believe that we all need the Lord's help. Because as much as I've prepared, as much as you've come willing and ready to hear the word, we need... Uh, the Lord to minister with us. We are in dialogue with him as he communicates to us. So would you pray with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this incredible opportunity to open the word together. Father, I ask that you would minister to us. Help us, Lord, to see our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would minister to us wherever we come from, with the various challenges we have, with the various concerns that might be on our hearts, Lord, would you minister to us again this morning? Lord, would you give me the words? Would you use me as your humble servant? pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Is God really good? That was the question that my student asked me. He said to me, how can we believe in God's goodness When bad things happen, is God really good? It was after class, and we were sitting in my office, and at first, it sounded like a philosophical question. It sounded as if someone had asked him the question, and I wondered if he was asking me to find out how he should have responded. But there was a pain in his voice. When he kept repeating the question, is God really good? It wasn't a philosophical problem for him. It was real. There was a real doubt about God's goodness. As we circled around the question, he finally told me why he kept asking it. His sister had just been raped. And all of the pain and suffering he and his family had just experienced left him without an answer to the question, but is God really good? Sometime after my conversation with the student, our church went through the Psalms together. You ever read the Psalms? Read them. Honestly, emotionally, and in these songs and poems, you will find, find such profound expressions of human life. When we got to Psalm 34 as a church, I thought about my student and his question. It was the beginning of the psalm that made me think of him when the psalmist says that he will praise God at all times. I hear my student I hear myself now asking the question, but is God really good? How do we know? If we're honest with ourselves, 
Some of us came this morning asking this very question. Maybe you've only asked it to yourself. Maybe you've asked it privately, never saying the words out loud. Maybe you asked it when you were sick or when your family member died. Or maybe you asked it when your prayers went unanswered or when your child didn't come home. Sometimes you and I, like my student, ask the question, is God really good? This morning I want us to hear the words of Psalm 34 as an answer to our question. So if you have your Bibles with me, please turn to Psalm chapter 34, and I'm going to read the psalm one more time as we hear this question being asked from ourselves. Is God really good? Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and those and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Stop there in our reading. Whenever I read the beginning of this psalm, it feels like a strange interruption in my life. It's as if we were all sitting here together and no one was saying a word. Everyone had their head down doing their own thing. And all of a sudden, a person in the middle of the church stood up and began singing loudly. But then... All of a sudden, as his song continues to to get louder and louder, he keeps turning to us, gesturing for us to join him in the singing. That's what the beginning of this psalm is like. At first, David is a soloist, singing as though his song could last forever. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will keep this song on repeat everywhere I go. Every day I wake up, I will sing my song of praise to God. But then he looks at us and invites us to sing along as if we know the words of his song. And it's sort of unusual. My first response to David and his incessant singing is to say, go ahead, David, you sing whatever you want, just keep it down. But he's relentless. In just the second verse, he gets louder and bolder. From my very soul, he sings. I will open my mouth wide and let this song come from my innermost part. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. But that's not enough for David. He wants the song to be infectious. He wants it to echo across the walls of life and stir the hearts of all who would hear this song. Let the humble hear and be glad, he sings. In his song, the humble are glad because his song is good news. David sings encouragement for anyone who is in need. Is anything bothering you this morning? David asks. 
Has anyone come this morning bruised from, the, from about with sorrow? Join me in singing, David says. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David is inviting us, the assembly, the community of God, to sing his praises at all times because that's how praise seems to work. It's better with a chorus of voices. And I guess we could do that. The lyrics to his song are simple enough. And its melody is easy to pick up. But you know what part gives me the most trouble of David's song? It's the part right there in the first line. At all times. That his praise shall be in my mouth continually. At all times. Not some of the times. Not when I feel like it. Not when everything is going well. At all times. Continually. Not once in the morning or late at night before I go to bed. It is continually. Can I, can we sing God's praises at all times and truly believe the words that we sing? That's the hardest part of this song. What it invites us to do is easy to understand. David wrote these words down so that we might join his constant praising of God. But constant praise assumes constant goodness. It implies that God is worthy of praise at all times. It only makes sense that we would praise him every day if he is good every day. So how can we be sure? How can David be so sure? David, I will join you in your singing, but first you have to explain to me, how do you know that God is good? Look at David's response in verses 4 through 7. David tells us, I saw it. I experienced it for myself. I have experienced and learned that God is good for those who fear him to rescue and protect them. David is speaking to us from personal experience. At the very beginning of this psalm, there is a note in your Bibles. At least there's a note in my Bible. Which says, this psalm is by David when he pretended to be crazy and went away from Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. David wrote this psalm as a response to God's deliverance. He was running for his life. King Saul wanted him dead. Hungry, tired, and with no place to go, David went into the land of the enemy, the Philistines, to escape from Saul. You've got to understand the danger involved here. I know that David had no other choice in order to escape from Saul, but think about where he is going into. David escaped into the land of Gath, one of the greatest cities inhabited by the Philistines, the enemy of God's people. David, you remember the story, David is the famous hero of the Philistines. How did David become famous? He slaughtered Goliath. Do you know what city Goliath is from? He's from Gath. David 
The one whom they sing songs about after killing Goliath is entering into the very city where Goliath was the hero to escape from Saul. As soon as he entered into the city, he was recognized by the Philistines. That's the man. That's the one that they sing about in Israel. Servants of the king saw him and immediately brought word to the king. David left Israel thinking he had escaped a hungry lion only to find himself in a den of bears. David was afraid. He knew that the Philistines could take him as a prisoner or take his very life. So fearful, David pretends to be crazy. And when the people told the Philistine king about David, the king let him go. By God's grace, the king let him go. God rescued David. David was afraid and in need, and God delivered him. Look with me, beginning at verse 4 of Psalm 34. David says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him and delivers them. David knew his salvation could only come from God. It was the Lord who answered, who heard, who delivered and rescued. David had every right to be fearful. But God rescued him from his fears and delivered him from his troubles. Fears are terrors. Things that make us anxious and threaten our well-being. These things make us afraid. They keep us awake. They terrorize us and hold us hostage. Troubles are just as abusive. They are hardships or taken literally antagonists who oppose us. When we try to move forward, they stick their arm out and keep us from moving forward. Fears and troubles are our enemies. And apart from the Lord, we are defenseless against them. What do you fear? What makes you anxious? I worry for my family. I am terrified about the possibility that something would happen to my wife and unborn child. I'm anxious over my nephews and nieces. I'm fearful that something terrible might happen to the people that I love. And whenever something does happen, what do I do? I turn to God and I ask him, why would you do that? Why aren't you as concerned for my family as I am? David's experience tells me something very different. It tells me that as much as troubles cause us to question God's goodness and love, he is for us. When David rescued him, David learned that God was for him. God was personally interested in his well-being. Look at the language used in verse 7. This poor man cried, and God heard me. God knew his condition. He knew that David was poor without food and running for his very life. 
But notice, too, what is missing at the end of the first line in verse 7. David cried to whom? It's as if David wants us to fill in the missing words. This poor man cried out to God. Before David can even direct his cry to God, God has already heard it. David doesn't even have to say who he is crying to because God has already heard his cry before he can even finish it. God is so personally for us that he knows our cry and meets us before we can even ask for help. Like the mother who can identify her child crying from another room, God heard his child and responded to his cry. David's response or experience taught him that God's people will be preserved and protected. When his people seek after God, his glory will shine upon them and they will be glad. They will never be brought low. Their faces shall never be ashamed. When God is your champion, who or what can pose a threat? Is there anyone stronger than the Lord? Let me ask it another way. Is there anything more mighty than the right hand of God? Let whoever or whatever come against God's people. Why? For the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. God is near to protect his people. When God's power surrounds you, you are protected on all sides. Whatever lies behind you or in front of you will not be able to bring you down. David says to our community, I bring to you what I learned firsthand. God is for those who fear him to rescue and protect his people. Look for yourselves. Taste and see that God is truly good. You'll see for yourselves that God, that in God is every good and perfect gift. Read David's invitation to us in verses 8 through 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David holds his own life out for us to see. As if it were a sampling of God's goodness, he offers a plate to be passed around. My experience can be your experience. Come all who thirst and hunger and taste for yourselves. God is good. Not in a philosophical sense, not in a if you just say it enough times and convince yourself kind of way, but in a real, tangible, feel and see kind of way. The sort of way that is undeniable. Those who take refuge in God are blessed because they know the goodness of God. I think there is a temptation for you and I to read verse 8 like this. Taste and see that the Lord is sweet. Is that what your Bible says? Taste and see that the Lord is sweet? No, it says taste and see that the Lord is good. Life is more nuanced than sweet. It includes the bitter as well. 
It even contains a little bit of sour, but in all of life, at every time, even when all we have to eat are bitter herbs, all of life will be good for those who take refuge in God. Two of my favorite things to do, aside from preaching, is cooking and eating food. (laughs) You spend enough time with me, or if you look at me long enough, you will probably figure that out. But cooking and eating food are two of my favorite things to do. And there are two chefs who talk about the secret to good cooking, to great cooking. They said that the essence of a good meal is a balance between four basic tastes, salty, sweet, sour, and bitter. If you think back on any meal that you've had that you've said that was a good meal, it was some kind of balance between at least two of these and often three. But think about that. Just last night, Meredith and I had some uh, strawberries. We dipped them in chocolate, and the bitterness and the sweetness of the strawberries worked perfectly together. Why? Because there's a balance there, bitter and sweet. Now, if we think about that, if a good dish must be the combination between at least two of four of these tastes, salty, sour, sweetness, and bitterness. The same is true for the good life. The same is true for goodness. Good is not just sweet, but instead the good life for those who take refuge in God would include a bit of all of these things. Sometimes life will be a little bitter. Sometimes life will be sweet, and sometimes it will be sour. Sometimes it might even be salt in our wounds. But no matter what, the consistency for those who take refuge in God is that life will be good. In the bitterness, in the sweetness, even in the sour, we will know that God is good. That's what life consists of. For those who are in the presence of God, we will find ourselves to be among those who are called blessed. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The most blessed place anyone can be is in the presence of God. It might not be the safest place. It might not be the healthiest place or the richest place, but it will be the most blessed. Blessing It's not a matter of what you have. It is a matter of being in the presence of God. Look again at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. You will be lacking in nothing. When you check your inventory, when you take account of all that you have, you will find that your life is plentiful. All your needs have been met. And yet I find myself, if I were honest, Wanting so many things. I find myself convinced that I don't have enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough satisfaction. And yet those who fear the Lord have all that they need. What does your heart long for? What do you desire above anything else? If your heart if your affections are first and foremost directed toward God, your heart will always be full. You could be sick. You could be lonely. 
You could even be hungry, but when you fear the Lord, you will find that you will be satisfied in whatever God has for you. He himself will be enough. But if your heart is first and foremost directed toward other things, if you have other desires that are first in your mind, the desire for high status, the desire to be approved or valued by anything or anyone other than God, you will be like a young lion, desiring what you do not have, hungry for what is unattainable. You will never be satisfied. When you get what you want, another want will fill its place. And when you do not get what you want, the disappointment will create a deep rumbling in your stomach like the stomach of a starving child. And you will feel like it is the end of you. But those who seek the Lord seek a good and gracious God. We are not like the young lions during a long dry season who become famished and weak from hunger. We are the children of God. And whether the land is plentiful or barren, God's children have all that they need. So how do we become full on God? How do we experience the good in a life that can be sometimes that can sometimes feel chaotic and full of problems? In verse 11, David tells us, the good life, blessing is experienced in the fear of the Lord. It is in being in right relationship with God. It is in living well before our creator that we experience the goodness that we all desire. There is no better life than a life lived in relationship to God. So who among us wants to experience joy, gladness, and satisfaction? You won't find it outside the will and mercy of God. You can try. You can fool yourself into thinking you are experiencing the good, but a fool that fools himself into thinking he is in paradise is still a fool sitting in his own destruction. I can close my eyes now and imagine that I was sitting on a beach in the Caribbean. And that might last a little while, but by the time I open my eyes, I will still be in Chicago cold with snow all around me. Eventually, the fantasy ends, and your supposed happiness is a candle that has run out. If you want to experience goodness, goodness that lasts beyond circumstance, Fear the Lord, David says. To fear the Lord is to be in right relationship with God. It is to honor him as God, as a God who is all-powerful and all-loving. It is to worship him as he alone deserves, because he alone is God. To fear the Lord is to say, Lord, you are God and holy, and I will reject evil and pursue what is good. Our love for God will express itself in a love for righteousness. The closer we get to our good God, the more our lives will begin to reflect his goodness. Our lips will stop lying. Our bodies will turn from sin and reject things that displease God. And we will look for opportunities to serve and to do good, to bless those around us and to be peacemakers just as our God has been a peacemaker with us. When we are in a right relationship with God, we begin to experience life transformation. 
You want to experience the good life, David says. Good. Fear the Lord, because true blessing and goodness are only found with God. Wait a minute. If real blessing belongs to those who fear the Lord, then why does it seem like the wicked flourish? How can we say that goodness comes for the righteous when the wicked keep being wicked and seem to be winning all day long? David responds to us and says, we can say that goodness comes for the righteous because God is for the righteous and opposes the wicked. When all is finished, you will see that God cares for the righteous and will cut off the wicked. Look at verses 15 through 18 with me. The eyes of the Lord are toward those, are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against the wicked, those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The contrast between the future of the righteous and the wicked cannot be more opposed. Whatever you believe about the wicked now, no matter how much success sin seems to have on this earth, God will cut off the memory of them from the earth. God will not only put an end to the injustice and wickedness, he will remove even the memory of it. It's one thing to say that it will be wiped away so that it doesn't happen again, but it is something else entirely to say that even the memory of it will be gone. Think about that for a moment. If you have ever been harmed by a wicked person, If you have been scarred by their evil intentions, know that God will remove even its memory from the earth. As if it never happened. The stain evil men and women leave on this earth will be cleansed and it will be as if it were never there. But the future for those who fear God, they will be preserved by God. God is attentive to them. His eyes are on them. His ears are set toward them because he is near to the brokenhearted and eager to save those in need. God is not blind to the injustice that happens on this earth. God is not blind to the pain and suffering you have experienced. He sees us and sees our need for peace and protection. And he will be near to his people. God is for his people, and he will preserve preserve us to the end. And yet, near the end of this psalm, David admits that our afflictions are many. David recognizes that the life of those who love God will be filled with pain. Verse, Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. The difference between the righteous and the wicked is not that the, that the righteous do not face afflictions. The good and blessed life is not a life absence of suffering. Ask your brothers and sisters here. The afflictions around us are many. And yet, 
we know that God will preserve us. He will protect us. The affliction will not kill us. Whatever suffering or hardship you are currently facing, no matter how long it lasts, it will not destroy us. God will rescue us and protect us because he is good. And how do we know? How do we know that God is truly good? The answer to this question is in the way the rest of the Bible uses this particular passage. We know that God is good because of Jesus. The Gospel writer John quotes this very passage when talking about our Messiah. He tells us that we know that God is good because of Jesus, because in Jesus the Father demonstrated his love and goodness. He quotes this psalm, John does, saying his bones were not broken as a fulfillment of Scripture. As a sign of completion, Jesus suffered so that we might experience the good that God has for us. This Jesus who lived was rejected and suffered for us. This Jesus took all of our afflictions. Jesus took on all of our suffering. He was nailed to the cross as a demonstration and proof that God is good to preserve his people. And when he hung on that cross... His bones were not broken as a fulfillment of this passage. As a sign of completion, Jesus suffered so that we might experience the good. And if we need any proof that the righteous will not perish, that whatever hardship we are facing will not be our end, look to him who was raised from the dead. Jesus was put in a grave but did not see decay. His body was put in a tomb, but he did not perish. God was faithful to raise our Messiah from the dead so that you and I would have life everlasting. What shall I fear when my God defeated death itself? What impossibility lies before me when my God has the power of resurrection? Sickness is no match. Sin holds no power. Sorrow will not last because our God redeems and rescues those who take refuge in him. Amen? How do we know that God is good? How do we know that God is for us and cares for us to the end? How do we know that David's words are true? We know because Jesus, being fully God, took on the nature of a servant and died for our sins so that we might know God's goodness. And when all seemed hopeless, after the disciples had gone and the women cried their tears at his tomb, Jesus was raised from the dead. His body did not see decay. When I sat with my student asking the question, is God really good? We didn't have a lot of answers for what happened to his sister. The only thing we had was the knowledge of our suffering Savior. He who empathizes with our pain, but who has conquered sin and death by his powerful right hand. If you are going through some trouble this morning, if you ever find yourself asking whether God is good, I ask you, I plead with you, look at the assurance you have in the gospel. 
Is God really good? Yes, he is good to those who fear him. So praise him all the time for his goodness. Praise him at all times. Sing a song of praise as if there were a choir singing in your chest, for God is good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you have suffered on our behalf. Lord, when we suffer, when we are in pain, we do not serve a God who cannot identify with our pain and loss. We suffer with a God who has already suffered on our behalf. We worship a God who was not conquered by death, but rose victorious on the third day. So yes, Lord, we can praise you continually, even as we face bitterness and pain and suffering. We will praise you, Lord, for you truly are good. Lord, I ask if any of us here this morning are currently facing pain. Lord, I ask that we would be able to taste and see that you are truly good. Would you meet us, Lord, where we are? Would you minister to us, I pray. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. counselors to come up to the front um, so that uh, if you're here today and, and you're saying, man, how can God be good? I mean, you realize through this message, man, it's found in Jesus. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, this psalm becomes a reality in my life. If that's you here today, I want to ask you to come up to the front and pray with one of our prayer counselors. Um, if you don't know Jesus, maybe this is the first time you've heard about Jesus and what he did on your behalf, how he suffered on your behalf, and you say, man, I, I, I want to get to know this Jesus. Uh, I'm going to ask you as well to come up to the front and, and be prayed for and, and talk to him about that. Uh, for the rest of us, why don't we all stand to our feet at this time? We're going to sing this song, Forever Rain. And as we sing this song, uh, and as you uh, sing these lyrics, uh, let's sing it reflecting upon the goodness of God, knowing that ultimately, whether we're in a bitter season or we're in a sweet season, we know that God is good because of what Jesus did. Right, church? That ultimately, what happens to us here is in our ultimate predicament, right? So let's sing this with all that we have. And again, our prayer counselors will be up here in the front. I'm ready to, to pray with you. You are good. You are good. You are good. When there's nothing good in me. You are love. You are love. On display for all to see. closes in you are hope you are hope you have covered all my sins